As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on this episode of The Box of Oddities, a Harvard astronomer and a department head from the Pentagon claim there might be a giant alien mothership right outside our solar system. And then, did they just accidentally uncover the remains of a fabled hound from hell? The Box of Oddities. If it's weird, we talk about it. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Can I just take a minute before we begin to emphasize once more that the uh, Freaks, a Box of Oddities podcast Facebook group is not about porn. (laughs) Yeah. Once again, we need to acknowledge our amazing moderators. Yeah. On the Facebook group, they are incredible. Each and every one of them goes above and beyond. Uh, some of them do not accept my gifts. I don't love that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, once again, we had uh, an interesting encounter with someone who misunderstood what our group is about. Yeah, yeah. So now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we've had to add a new question in order to join the group. (laughs) Now, the issue stems from the fact that the group is named Freaks. Right, and people think we're getting freaky. And the question to get entry to the group talked about, how was it phrased? Uh, do you hereby swear that you will be nothing but sweetness to your fellow freaks and approach this conversation with love in your heart and pants? Right. And so I think that may have confused some people. Sure. So I've kept that question, but I've added a second question. All right. Do you understand that despite freaks being in the group title, that this is a podcast fan page and not some bonkers sex club? <laughs> well, I think that's pretty clear. Um, thank you so much to Sam for the verbiage that I used in that question. I loved it and used it verbatim. Well, here's something weird for you. Um, On October 19th in 2017, at the observatory in Hawaii, Robert Wernick saw something very unusual using the PanStars telescope. What he discovered was nothing short of the very first observed interstellar object. The only one that was ever detected passing through the solar system. Uh Uh-huh. It was named Amumamua, which is Hawaiian for 
a messenger from far away arriving fast. At first it was classified as a comet, but now we're not so sure. Oh? Could it be? <laughs> By the time it was detected, it was about 40 days after its closest passing point to uh, the sun, which happened on September the 9th of 2017. By the time it was observed, it was about 33 million kilometers or 21 million miles away from Earth. It's about 85 times as far away as the moon is from the Earth, just to kind of help frame it. Wait, you believe in the moon? It was already, at the point it was initially observed, heading away from the sun. Okay. The cosmic object was from outside the solar system, and it is cigar-shaped, which is atypical for a comet, and is estimated to be somewhere between 100 to 1,000 meters in size, or 300 to 3,000 feet long. Wow. Its width and thickness is somewhere between, they estimate, 35 and 165 meters, or 115 to 548 feet. And it was bright red, which is not unheard of Mm. for a comet or an asteroid, but unusual. There were some very strange additional observations uh, made regarding this object. First, even though it had passed close to the sun, there was no sign of it having a coma, which is the nebulous envelope that surrounds the nucleus of a comet. From the Latin word for hair. That's right. Thank you. It gives the comet that fuzzy appearance when it's viewed through a telescope, and you are dead on. The coma, the word coma, led to the word comet itself. And the word comb. So that's pretty weird because if it's a comet and it flew that close to the sun, Mm -hmm. it should have had a large tail following it because it would have been some of it would have evaporated that close to the sun. It did not. It also exhibited non-gravitational acceleration. Now let me explain. Gravitational acceleration is the acceleration of an object in free fall within a vacuum. In other words, it doesn't experience any drag, Mm. and it's the steady gain in speed caused exclusively by the force of gravitation. All bodies accelerate in a vacuum at the same rate regardless of how big it is or what it's made of. It's like the thought experiment. If you drop a bowling ball and a feather from a 10-story building in a vacuum, they both hit the ground at the same time. Right. It appears as though this object was accelerating on its own away from Earth without using gravitational acceleration. The object seemed to be spinning in a way that was unusual for its shape and speed. In an article published this week, In all things interesting, a Harvard scientist and a Pentagon official have released a draft document that speculates that this may not be a comet. It may, in fact, be an alien exploratory craft from outside of our solar system. These are not crackpots. It's a scientist from Harvard and a Pentagon official. Crackpots. (laughs) That's such a weird term. The paper has been authored by Avi Loeb, who's a Harvard University astronomer, along with the director of the Pentagon's All-Domain, All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Sean M. Kirkpatrick. That office was established by the Department of Defense in July of just last year oh. to study, quote, objects of interest. The paper is titled, Physical Constraints on the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, 
In the paper, they talk about their theory of extraterrestrial probes in the galactic vicinity of Earth that send out smaller craft to explore areas of interest. Oh, so this football field-sized hot dog maybe was dropping off some kids to scootle down here and check us out? Yeah, and it may in fact be a kid from a larger mothership, so to speak. He referred to them as dandelion seeds. They would be smaller spacecraft, and those smaller craft could be landed on planets of interest to explore and gather scientific data. It's not dissimilar to what we do and what we have done on Mars and other celestial bodies that we've explored. Sure. So basically, they're saying that a giant mothership is somewhere outside of our solar system, possibly. And from that giant ship, they're sending these cigar-shaped crafts, probably without any life form on them, into solar systems or areas of interest. They launch the cigar-shaped vehicle into the solar system, in our case. And again, these are just probes. The cigar-shaped vehicles enter the solar system, approach the planets of interest, then they launch these dandelion seeds that land on the planets to explore and gather data. Interestingly, and perhaps coincidentally, just prior to this cigar-shaped body nearing Earth, another smaller body that measured about three feet wide entered Earth's atmosphere and was assumed to have crashed on the surface. Hmm. It did not burn up in the atmosphere. They assumed at the time that it was a smaller meteor, and they named it uh, IM-2. Now, it's likely that IM-2 wasn't related to Oumuamua. Oh? But it's pretty coincidental. And that's what led these two researchers to consider the possibility that there could be a parent craft launching an artificial interstellar object and releasing smaller probes as it passes closely by Earth. Again, similar to what we do at NASA with NASA. Loeb said, quote, these dandelion seeds could be separated from the parent craft by the tidal gravitational force of the sun or by a maneuvering capability. Furthermore, even though we did detect the object IM2, he says that these dandelion seeds could probably reach Earth for exploration and not be detected at all because they would be small enough as to not reflect any sun, making it virtually impossible to uh, see with telescopes. Okay. He said, quote, with proper design, these tiny probes could reach Earth or other solar system planets for exploration as the parent craft passes within a fraction of the Earth's sun separation. Just like this object did, astronomers would not be able to notice the spray of mini probes because they do not reflect enough sunlight for existing survey telescopes to even notice them. They speculate that these probes would have a large surface-to-mass ratio, uh, much like a parachute that would slow it down when entering the atmosphere and keep it from burning up. It's kind of a set-it-and-forget-it system. It's assumed, and they did mention this in the draft paper, that alien civilizations that would be exploring other solar systems would be interested in rocky planets that had an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So in our solar system alone, that means Mars, Earth, and Venus. But since Earth has such a large quantity of water, it would make it even more enticing. It would probably make it the target, which I hate to use that word when talking about alien intelligence, the target planet for exploration. Do they have any... Is their thought that this 
Ron Popeil ship drop-off sesh has <laughs> happened before, or that it's some sort of Possibly. that it's that it's now happening, or that it's uh, that it's been happening. It's, it, it could be either. Okay, we're not sure. And again, they're not saying that this is without a doubt what they believe is happening. They're saying that if you put the pieces together, they're saying could it be? It fits in to this scenario. Wow. And they emphasized in their paper that the civilizations that created this technology would probably not be on the cigar-shaped ship. In fact, it's entirely possible that the civilization that created these probes, assuming they are unmanned, so to speak, unalien, uncreatured. Yep may not even exist anymore, since most stars formed billions of years before our sun. So these ancient civilizations could have been sending out these interstellar probes hundreds of thousands of years before our planet was even formed. Mm -hmm. Loeb describes this posthumous search to, quote, checking our mailbox for any packages that may have accumulated over time, even if the senders are not alive anymore. And who's to say that any sort of alien life form would be, quote unquote, alive the way that we consider it? Maybe uh, mm. the, the tech is the life form. It could be. It's hard to say. And it's interesting to ponder. I remember Carl Sagan saying in uh, the original Cosmos that we assume all life forms are carbon based. Are carbon based. Which is silly. It could be any. He said there, there could be life forms that are silicon based. Yeah. Evolving in a different place would create a need to adapt to the, adapt in to the environment that's available to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't evolve that way. Now, this is a theory, of course. I love theories. On their part. And it's a highly controversial theory in the uh, community of astronomy. Oh, yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah. And even though it's more likely than not that it's a um, of natural origins, they say that that doesn't mean their theories should be ruled out. Loeb calls it the Amahumahu wager, and it's based on Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager was established in the 1600s and says that a rational person should live their life as if God existed. For if God does exist, then they would have lived a good life and been granted a place in heaven. If God does not exist, then they would have lost nothing and still lived a good life. Loeb says in his version of it that it might be worth believing that this is in fact an alien spaceship, if only to open our minds to the possibilities of life beyond Earth. Mm, that's an interesting way to look at it. My source information an amazing article just came out in All Things Interesting, which is appropriate because it's interesting. It sure is. Wikipedia, NPR, and NASA Solar System Exploration, exploration.gov. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. Did you know that volcanoes on Mars are 100 times bigger than those on Earth? Olympus Mons, the largest volcano on Mars, towers at a staggering height of 22 kilometers, which is three times the height of Mount Everest. It's a wonder of the Martian world, and scientists believe it to be dormant, but still capable of eruption. With a volcano that size, you can imagine an eruption on Mars would be immense. Hello, Kat and Jethro. This comes from Erica. My husband and I were listening to episode 524, where Jethro talks about bizarre illnesses. I work as a hospice chaplain, so it can be pretty difficult to catch me off guard with something strange and unusual. However, Jethro did manage to come up with two new ones, and I thought I'd share one of my own in return. I was diagnosed with MS. It's a neurological disorder that degrades the covering of my nerve cells. This was a little over three years ago, although I've battled symptoms for most of my adult life. 
We've gotten pretty used to writing off strange and unusual happenings in my body to MS, but a few months ago my nervous system threw something brand new at me. At random intervals, my body locks up and I can't move for roughly 30 to 45 seconds. Oof. It doesn't affect my brain at all, so I'm coherent and talking through the whole thing, but I'm at the mercy of whatever position my spasming muscles want me in. When I explained the problem to my doctor, he started laughing before I got to the end. He finally interrupted me and said, Darlin, you have fainting goat syndrome. What? <laughs> he explained that it is essentially a seizure that takes place exclusively in the spinal cord and doesn't affect the brain in the way a normal seizure would. It doesn't cause any damage, although, as you can imagine, there's a pretty big fall risk. Sure. Because these seizures are... Most often a result of being startled or overstimulated, doctors began to tie it to the famous fainting goats because the actual name is really super difficult to spell and pronounce. Sure, I get it. Because I am particularly gifted at face planting, <laughs> we talked at length about multiple ways which I could ac accidentally maim myself and what precautions to take, but neither of us gave enough credence to just how big a pickle I could get myself into. Later that week, I was doing the wash in our top-loading washing machine. Ugh, the worst. I hate them. Because I am vertically challenged, I have to stand on my tippy toes and lean into the washing machine to grab the bottom of the load. Same. I had my hand around the inevitable last stray sock when one of our dogs bumped me from behind and startled me. I think you can imagine the rest. Oh, man. But for the sake of a story, I got stuck nose down, ass up, with my head in the washing machine. <sighs> My husband was in the other room and couldn't hear me yodeling for help, but he did come looking for me when I didn't return in a reasonable, in a reasonable amount of time. When he realized what was going on, he attempted to rescue me, which is not easy to do when you're laughing so hard you can't see through all the tears in your eyes. It almost landed both of us on the laundry room floor. And that's the story of how I ended up with a service dog who can detect when my inner goat is about to surface. As long as they don't bump into you. She can't catch me on the way down, but she usually gets me to the floor before I freeze. That's amazing. Thank you for providing endless hours of education and entertainment on road trips to this appointment and that. The world is a freakier and more fabulous place because of you. Thank you, Erica. Because of you. Thank you so much. That's uh, terrible and also entertaining. Give your puppies a scritch for us. So often is the case. Robert wrote us, I was listening to Box 445, and JG mentioned his techie granddad, and I thought, it sounded like my great-granddad. He also kept up with the tech of the times. It has been a while now, but I think he was about 90 when he explained to a board he was on for the local museum how to hook up a printer to their computer. <laughs> this was not so simple to do at the time. Any hoozle, I thought I would share. Keep flying that freak flag, listening from Dallas, Texas. Yeah, my grandfather was amazing when it came to stuff like that. Yeah. He always had to have the latest stuff, even if he didn't use it. He passed before, like, Amazon Echo and smart homes became kind of a common thing, but he would have been right at the forefront of it for sure. Oh, yeah, he would have loved that. And I'm sure Mama would have rolled her eyes mm -hmm. until she realized that she could order Pizza Hut from it. Through the Echo, yes. Val sent us a message. Cat! Box 523, I just listened, and before I forget, I wanted to send a message about my theory 
of the universe. Or maybe it's not a theory, but it's just me in my crazy mind thinking of stuff. So we have this whole universe in our gut, like our microbiome with all these little creatures living inside us and farting and stuff. How do we know that we're not the microbiome of some giant? <laughs> what if we're all just doing this life and breaking down substances and producing gas for our giant? Ooh. <laughs> Smell. <laughs> That's interesting and terrifying. Um, yeah. Reminds me of the whole collapsible uh, universe theory yeah. where the universe is expanding and at some point it's going to thin out to the, uh, the point where it can't expand anymore and it'll collapse back in on itself, essentially creating another Big Bang and then it expands out and then stops and comes back in and it's just this constant cycle of expansion and contraction and explosion. Similar to collapsible electrons on the other end of the scale. Quirky stuff. So what if that goes on in both directions infinitely mm -hmm. and our universe is just an electron in a much larger dimension and our electrons are universes in even smaller dimensions. The galaxy is on Orion's belt. The fish eat my furniture. The house glows with almost no help. Winged tubbies frolic near the power steering. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What do you got, girl? In 2013... The bones of a gigantic dog were discovered and unearthed from a grave about 20 inches deep in the ruins of an abbey in Suffolk. Is, was it a grave for the dog or was it buried with a person? It was a dog grave. It was a dog grave. Dig Ventures, a London-based archaeology group, uh, was the group to uncover this dog. They are a platform that enables regular people to take part in archaeology and heritage projects. They've pioneered the use of crowdfunding and crowdsourcing and digital methods to allow access and opportunities for just regular old folk to purposefully participate in real research. Wow. It's so cool you can sign up to be a part of an archaeological dig 
I have always wanted to do that. Let's do it. I remember reading about um, uh, an expedition that was taking place in the Yucatan Peninsula. This would have been like 15, 20 years ago mm-hmm. and thinking, oh man, yeah. wouldn't I love to sign up for that? Well, you love Mexico. <clears throat> and I love signing up for things. See? It's perfect. Anyway, this dog stood at about 72 centimeters from shoulder to floor. So he was a big boy. And not long after this discovery, the Daily Mail shared the news of the discovery with the headline, in part, Is this the skeleton of legendary devil dog Black Shuck? Excuse me? Yeah. This dog was discovered a few miles from two churches where the Black Shuck is said to have killed worshippers during a thunderstorm in August 1577. The Black Shuck, this legendary red-eyed devil dog, then allegedly traveled 12 miles to another church where it killed two more people. This was when? 1577. And so I'm guessing this wasn't somebody's pet. I don't think any black shucks are assumed to be someone's pet. I'd never heard of the word shuck before. I'm getting into what okay. it is. Right. Could you be patient? I just want to know if All it was right, let's, somebody's pet. Come on, we're going to... Lived in the forest. Would you allow me to... the evil red eyes. All right. Let's get into the lore of the black shuck. Finally. <laughs> also known as old shuck, old shock, or simply shuck, this is a ghostly spirit black dog which is said to roam the coastline and countryside of East Anglia. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the name Shuck derives from the Old English word skaka, meaning devil or fiend, or perhaps from the root ska to terrify. Now, for centuries, inhabitants of England have told tales of a large black dog with evil flaming eyes, sometimes associated as an omen of death. But he was a spirit, ghost-like kind of thing, right? Kind of cryptidy. He, oh, oh, cryptidy. Okay, so it was a physical thing. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Ghosts don't have bones. So he takes the form of this huge black dog. The howling is said to make the hearer's blood run cold. His footsteps make no sound at all. It's said that an encounter with the black shuck will bring you the worst of luck and that be warned, your death will occur before the end of a year. According to report, this beast varies in size from simply a large dog to that of a calf or even a horse. Hellhound legends dating back to the ancient times report that the shuck might have black fur, glowing eyes, supernatural strength and speed, incredibly sharp long teeth, claws, and sometimes multiple heads, sometimes no heads. At times, it appears as though he's moving along on a carpet of mist. All of those things are creepy. Mm. The first known written text describing a black shuck goes back to 1127 in the town of Petersburg. Many men both saw and heard a great number of huntsmen hunting. The huntsmen were huge and hideous and rode on black horses and on black he-goats. And their hounds were jet black with eyes like saucers and horrible. This was seen in the very deer park of the town of Petersburg and in the woods that stretch from the same town to Stamford. And in the night... The monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. 
Stories like this spread from across Central, Western, and Northern Europe. They recount wild, loud, spectral hunts that included these giant dogs that seemed very otherworldly. In his 1577 pamphlet, A Strange and Terrible Wonder, the Reverend Abram Fleming told how the Satan-like beast came, this black dog, or the devil in such a likeness, running all along down the body of the church with great swiftness and incredible haste among the people in a visible form and shape, passed between two persons as they were kneeling upon their knees and occupied in prayer as it seemed, wrung the necks of them both in one instant clean backwards. Where they kneeled, they strangely died. That is um, a very disturbing description. How does a dog wring somebody's neck, though? I guess it fits a big enough dog pretty easily. They don't have thumbs, though. Don't you need thumbs to wring a neck? I think you could wring a neck with a, a mouth. Okay. Oh, I'll give you that. Thank you. But that's more of a bite and less of a ring. <clears throat> so this dog is a big deal in lore in this area. But was the dog uncovered in 2013 a black shuck? Dig Ventures says, meow. What does that mean? It means meow. 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 It was clear, they wrote on their website, that our dog skeleton had been laid to rest with care and consideration. This dog was excavated in one of the demolished monastic kitchen buildings, and they could tell that the dog had been carefully laid to rest sometime after the dissolution of the monasteries in 1537. So the time frame is about right. About. They did send a small sample of bone to a specialist radiocarbon dating laboratory in Florida to learn more about him, though. Mm -hmm. The metric analysis said that the size of the dog was about 72 centimeters from shoulder to floor. 28.3 inches? That's not that big. I mean, it's, you know. Um, but then again, that's from the shoulder. So yeah. that's, that's a good size puppy. Add some red dancing fire eyes and you've got, a, you've got something to fear. Right. We're, we're talking like maybe Great Danes or Mastiff size. Okay. All right. Other details discovered that this pup had heavily worn teeth and osteoarthritis in an ankle joint, indicating that he was an elderly dog at death. Radiocarbon dating was much less informative. It did indicate, though, that there was a date of either 1650 to 1690, 1730 to 1810, or after 1920. Take your pick. Yeah. These dates established that the skeleton was certainly laid to rest after the fabled story of the Black Shucks reported sighting in 1577, but they were hoping to find a more precise time period, so they're now going through the layers of ground that the, gra the grave had been cut through. I see. So yes, this was a big dog, but still within the range of regular dog size, rather than a devilish hellhound. <laughs> and he'd been buried so lovingly, and it would pose the question, why would that be the choice of people who are terrified after members of their community had had their bits nommed on by right, a spirit right. canine? Mm -hmm. Probably not. So was this the discovery of the black shuck? No. It was likely something much sweeter, an old dog who had worked hard for his people and was laying to rest with sweetness and care. I like that version much better than the Hound from Hell, with the red fire dancing saucer-sized eyes. Look at the last line of my... <clears throat> oh, it, I like that story. That's Wow, I said what you wrote. Yeah. Without even seeing your, your notes. Get out of my head. Get out of my head. I said it first. 
Still, though, it was kind of fun to, to learn about the black shuck. I got my information from Dig Ventures, from All That's Interesting, Wikipedia, of course, the Daily Mail, Cryptids Wiki, and Atlas Obscura. I want to say thank you and a special welcome to our most recent patrons and members of the Order of Freaks. Bethany, Duncan, Amanda, and Kat. Different one. Yeah, not me. Mm-mm. Thanks, you guys. We really appreciate it. And if you want to uh, become a member of the Order and support the podcast, you get ad-free episodes, monthly Zoom calls, lots of fun stuff. Go to theboxofoddities.com. You'll find the link there. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved Hello everyone, it's here And I'm Gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything A podcast which you can probably guess by the name is Well, I mean, it's about everything Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil And would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.